podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. And as the awfully written meme puts it this week, I miss the football so very much. Check what you copy and paste, people. It makes you look like a poorly translated foreign cartoon. But anyway, in a parallel world, it would be an international break. Uh, so we may not have podded anyway. So in effect, we're coming at you with a bonus podcast this week. Small silver linings, eh? I'm joined today by Anthony and Nick. First off, Nick, back refreshed after being consumed by Mother's Day festivities last weekend. You're right, mate. How are you going? surviving um, this isolation currently managing um, a child who doesn't sleep very well gets up at 4am every night so uh, a bit of a challenge there but um, got my home office now set up in the spare room so got some privacy at least during the the working week um, just to say who we are as you know we are who got the assist you can find us on twitter at wgta underscore fpl for tom um, at wgta underscore nick and at fpl stag we're also on instagram if you want to follow us there wgta.com FPL. So what's on the pod for this week, Anthony? Another week down in quarantine here as well in the Belgian lockdown. They've reinforced measures and extended the measures, but they haven't uh, tightened up the rules anymore, which is nice. But uh, this week on the pod, obviously no football to talk about, surprise, surprise. But nevertheless, there are a little bit of information that's come out from the Premier League, which we will discuss briefly. And then what we're going to do is move on to a game of sticker twist, talking about the rules and the setup of FPL as it is now, and just talking maybe briefly about what we change about it as well. And then we also have a bunch of listeners' questions to sift through. So we thank you for those and looking forward to going through them. Yeah, thanks for those. Um, yeah, just a preface before we move on. Obviously, in this poll, we're not going to speculate about COVID. A huge shout out to key workers and people uh, you know, putting their lives on the line, basically, so we could be safe. And we hope this podcast is taken with the spirit in which it is made, which is simply to hopefully make a small positive difference for you all. The main thing this week is talking about that stick or twist game. Uh, just to update you guys on uh, our thoughts on what's been announced, which is unsurprisingly that that initial april the 30th uh, deadline is looking like it's going to be extended it doesn't seem feasible at this point but uh, we'll come back in what would have been game week 36 in the fpl calendar yeah so what we've had since we last potted is a joint statement from the premier league the efl and the pfa together and effectively what those organizations did was agree to uh, work together to mitigate the economic impact of this current suspension um, on professional football in England and they've agreed to work together to arrive at shared solutions whatever those may be which is quite interesting but doesn't really tell us much more than they're thinking about trying to be cohesive with how they approach things uh, maybe also of interest was a report from Ornstein in The Athletic and having already previously reported that all of the Premier League clubs had agreed 100% to finish the season. That was only about 10 days ago. Already there's growing feelings within the clubs that this season perhaps should be null and voided and that the whole thing should be just played from scratch at the start of next year. But he does point out that for that to go ahead, they need a huge percentage of the clubs to agree to this. It'd be 14 out of 20. And with that in mind, it seems unlikely that that would happen. Uh, even Harry Kane has uh, joined in on the action now and he says that the season should be finished by June if it is to go that way. So we've learned nothing, but <laughs> at least we've uh, more to ponder. And I guess maybe the reality of how long we're going to be going without any football except Belarus and Nicaragua to enjoy at the moment. Obviously, a lot of people watching the, the Minsk derby over the weekend, uh, which was, uh, I think, recorded uh, with English commentary for the first time ever. So a uh, few people getting their football fix, however they can, it seems. Uh, 
Yeah, also worth highlighting since I think we last did our pod that the leagues below the national leagues have um, declared their seasons um, null and void. So um, some movement there in terms of some of the lower, lower leagues, but still very early days in terms of what happens with the Premier League. Obviously, it's you know huge financial contracts potentially up in the air if they did go that way. And, you know, there'd be potential legal cases from the likes of um, Leeds and West Brom as well if their promotion um, chances are denied. In the face of everything, I mean, the players and the PFA especially have been saying that the players, even if it's behind closed doors, are not going to be playing uh, if there are any safety issues, which is completely fair enough. I guess I can kind of see why, I mean, Harry Kane said today that June has to be the date that the season gets cut off no matter what. And the closer and closer we get, and we did speak about it last week, it's not going to retread it. Uh, Stag's idea of a, of, of a summer jamboree of FPL uh, may well still occur. And the president of Belarus actually has just said that... Um, He's not going to cancel anything and that vodka and saunas are going to beat the coronavirus. So there you go. Um, we at least have the Belarusian Premier League to look forward to. I wonder if they've got a BFPL, Belarusian Fancy Premier League. Oh my word, imagine. Is Alexander Kleb still playing? <laughs> imagine. He is a former professional footballer. How disappointing. It would have been nice. I saw Alexander Kleb play um, for Belarus against Ireland in a pre-Euro 2016 friendly in Cork. Uh, they beat us 1-0. It was terrible. <laughs> that's, the, that's my Alexander Kleb story. That's where every Ireland game is either 1-0 or 1-1. Yeah, it's pretty much it. And usually our goal tends to come after going behind. Play play poorly, go behind, and then just start lobbing it in and get big Shane Duffy or somebody else maybe to put it in. Probably Shane Duffy in uh, in isolation with Lewis Dunk still. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Let's move on to the uh, to the stick or twist game then. And we've what we've done for this, we've looked at key features of the fantasy Premier League and broken them down into three sort of umbrella groups: position, scoring, and economy. And we're going to speak about a couple of things and just basically come to a collective decision or you know a minority report style uh, two to one on whether they should stick or twist with a few things. So the first thing, I guess, is positions. And I guess what's really interesting, perhaps just to muse on, um, is could they be more complex with these? Because, you know, the idea of having a goalkeeper, defender, midfielder and striker feels very passe, doesn't it? It feels very championship manager, 2001 sort of vintage. And now you've got the ascent of offensive mids. You've got wing backs becoming such a huge part of the game. Can we still even put these guys on the same pedestal? Can you kind of be uh, comparing your Gary Cahill to your TAAs? What do you guys reckon? Should the positions stay as they are? I mean, the, you know, the advantages, they are very simple. But I guess it doesn't reflect the modern game, does it? Positions definitely, I think, could do with a little bit of work, but they don't need to overcomplicate it either, as far as I'm concerned. I think if you're to start splitting defenders into wing-backs and centre-backs, I think that's going to get quite difficult and arbitrary with some players. Um, whereas I think in midfield especially, that's where kind of things descend into farce at times, where you, you could well have a team with seven strikers playing because of you know having a bunch of midfielders and then your strikers on the pitch. and That's, that's kind of pointless. But the reason why they're doing that, of course, is to try and like keep premium players in the midfield who might be playing as forwards to Mo Salah or something who's going to have a heat map very similar to any striker maybe with a bit of a side on it but for me I think what you can do is if you just split midfield in two you have not necessarily defensive mids in the the DM Gareth Barry type role that you're thinking of but if you just have midfielders who are defensive and midfielders who are attacking just a general split there to try and just give a bit of variation so that we don't have to like lob all the salas of this world into the strikers and make that a mess but still find a way then maybe to reflect those positions in the scoring as well 
I think it's challenging. Obviously, um, with, with Sky Fancy Football, you do have those those wingers are classified as forwards. So the likes of Raheem Sterling or Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, they're all classified as forwards. And that kind of, you know, adds a bit more, um, you know, gravitas to that forward role. Because I think the problem is that when you look at the selections within the forward, you're kind of very, very limited in terms of this, the stock that you have available. I mean, this season we've got the likes of Marcus Rashford and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but even next season, because of the way they've been playing in their positions, their clubs, they're potentially going to be classified as midfielders. So essentially what you're kind of left with is sort of your, your Harry Canes and not much else, to be honest, in terms of who you pick for that forward position and I think with the midfielders it's a good point you know because you've got essentially you've got your likes of Kevin De Bruyne for instance who would be a, a classical midfielder you know players like David Silva maybe as well and you know Dele Alli or Christian Eriksen when he was at, um, at Spurs would be real midfielders and then you've got your, your attacking wingers your Sterlings your Salas your Manes which could potentially be classified in a separate category but I, I do think that when you start trying to separate the midfield slots like that it, it does add too much complexity to the game and we, we do have this problem obviously that you know in, in modern day football you know as you said defence midfield attacks very kind of 2001 but um, you can go down the road where you start saying right well, defensive midfielders maybe they deserve to get you know a couple of clean sheet points um, just to kind of make them an option you know so you could bring in the likes of Fabino or Kante into the game a little bit more but then as I think we talked about one of our previous pods about how Kante under Sari was playing a more attacking role and then does he get reclassified during the season or, or how do you play it because I think in modern day football we see so much positional change with players and you always have out of position players in FPL every season that it's going to be more and more the case if, if you start adding more formations to the game do we start to question whether we need three striker slots and maybe if there's an extra midfield slot is that the solution to our problem you create a bigger conundrum in terms of initially selection and then obviously who to play week in week out in midfield you know at the moment we find that we sometimes have sacrificial lambs in the forward line just because maybe this would be the way to get around that yeah it certainly makes sense to do it that way to say okay let's just go with six midfielders as you say and then two strikers I mean as Nick just said like if the likes of Marcus Rashford get reclassified then the stock is gonna be so thin isn't it going forward it's untrue but I guess what is different about it too is the fact that football does change over time you may well find that like a, a forward heavy 4-4-2 system of two pure strikers may become the formation that's in vogue by next year so I guess that that's the reason why they've kept it as it is for so long that you've got your five midfielders your five defenders and just your three strikers that said I mean I think there are some instances where they do just just game it effectively in terms of how they allocate player positions so mention Mo Salah mention Sadio Mane um, in terms of you know, starting positions last year for example Mo Salah was number nine like no dispute on quite a few occasions. Um, Alexis Sanchez in the past was a striker for Arsenal, no dispute, but remained a midfielder just because there wasn't kind of the premium options in midfield to cover if he was moved out. And I think that's probably the case this year as well with Salah and, and Mane, because if they'd have been moved out in midfield and put into the striker slots, then I think it may have unbalanced the game a little bit. So I guess there's an element of balancing with this. Like The more I think about it, the more we've spoken about it, it, it kind of feels like this is like the least worst solution. Although we want some deeper sense of complexity, maybe the positions isn't quite the place to do it. So maybe for me, possessions are a stick. Uh, what do you guys think? 
Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I think we didn't even cover the defence, to be honest. And, you know, the the situation of Chelsea's um, defence, for instance, when they were playing 5-3-2 with Alonso virtually attacking attacking winger, virtually forwards more, more than defending. And then Aspilicueto, is he, is he a central defender because he's part of that back three or is he a right back or, or what does he do? So, yeah, I think it's um, a stick for me as well. Yeah, and I think when you really put it through, Tom, I think least worst solution is probably the best way to characterise the positions as they are right now. And we're going to have the erratic out-of-position players, but they do make the game interesting. So for me, in this case, it's a stick. Yeah, making it overly complicated may be uh, just a bit much. and You may just descend into a bit of a strange situation. All right, uh, so the next bit, if we're saying stick for positions, is scoring. Um, so this breaks down to a few kind of key areas. The biggest part of the crapshoot is holding the gun for the captaincy armband. And I guess you know we have one fixed captain, don't we, every weekend? And basically, all of our hopes and dreams for that game week do rely on that captain more often than not. Like, if you do get your captain off, you're more than likely to get a green arrow, unless it's like one of those where there's an overwhelming herd on on one guy. There's other options out there. So Sky, for example, have a revolving captain every game day. You can make a captaincy pick. And I think a couple of the tournaments were a bit like that. So captaincy first, then. Do we think that that should stay as it is? Could that possibly be changed? So for me, I'm definitely pro this kind of revolving captaincy idea. I've really enjoyed it in the World Cup and Euro formats. I feel like it's the way that maybe people like us who spend a bit too much time watching games and tracking fantasy can benefit and get ahead of the herd. And it's also a way of just keeping people engaged. And maybe also just when your weekend is almost defined by, or your game week is almost defined by how well your captain does, as Tom alluded to, especially when the templates take hold. It's quite harsh and just that, you kind of you live and die by your captaincy so often and maybe to allow you to play kind of a game of almost 21 where it's like do you stick or twist on the captaincy that you've had on a friday on a saturday on a sunday that would i think make it more interesting and so i'd be pro it yeah i do think that it would add an additional complexity to the game for sure i mean it it would be a a sweeping change and obviously we do we do tend to find that the captaincy very often is a crapshoot you could have a really good week if your captain scores two and and your mate's captain gets a brace then you're essentially 10 points behind him and and that can really really impact the game week and i think having the option to to pick multiple captains over the course of um, a game week and revolve it would um definitely help the, the more informed managers and it can help with planning and add an extra complexity to the game when you think about the sort of Friday night and the Monday night fixtures when you're making your transfers you can start to think actually I'm going to bring in this guy he might be a Bournemouth player but he's got a Friday night fixture and and that really adds an extra dynamic and you know adds debate to the game do you target players based on fixtures or um you know the timing of the fixtures and, and things like that and I think you know um it, I think um, that added complexity, and it's not a ma- it wouldn't be a major major change. It would just be a, a slight change. I think would um, I think would go down well um, by and large with the community as well, to be honest. So um, yeah, I'd be relatively pro that change. I think. I don't know because I've played Sky for the last couple of seasons. It, it feels like a very Sky thing, and importing that into FPL, although that's a subjective thing to say, it just it doesn't feel quite right. Rationally, if I look at it though, there are lots of positives. Like as Nick said, there's natural dynamic. 
would it change the game? Maybe. Like, we'd probably see more hits, wouldn't we, as people kind of ramp up each week and, and kind of think, oh, if, if, if I get this guy and I've got the Friday, this guy and I've got the Sunday, this guy and I've got Monday Night Football. Um, and I think people might be a bit less cautious. You know, over the last few years, there's been a prevailing tailwind that, oh, you know, you've got to be cautious, like the FPL General and uh, Matthew Jones have been kind of putting that into the popular cycle. You've got to be careful. You've got to roll your transfers. You've got to you know, be really considered. So maybe, maybe that would change and the game would be more exciting because people would be taking more and more hits every week like i'm guessing if that stayed the same but there were more captains every weekend people would be a bit more cavalier the other big positive psychological isn't it because if all goes wrong with your captain especially if you're taking a gamble that week it can be a ruined weekend to some extent i mean i'm I'm not saying you're going to be bawling your eyes out or anything like that but it's going to piss you off um so maybe the fact that you've got kind of your safety net of at least one other captain could really help a lot of people psychologically if their captain does blow up in their face and I, I think just one other thing that we haven't mentioned in this is just that I think it would mean that it would unlock the ability to captain non, let's say, attackers more frequently. Because let's say if you can, often because of the way the TV ga- uh, game works, a lot of the big games are scheduled for Sunday. If you have a Friday night fixture and Saturday fixtures, the 3 p.m.s, etc., you could quite often, let's say, you could captain a defender. And then you kind of, if you think there's going to be a clean sheet in the Friday fixture, for example, or in one of the Saturday ones, okay, pick captain your, or your defender there, bank your 12, and then you can kind of sit and reflect and look at how the game week has panned out for you so far. How have your differentials done? How is the meta doing? And then you can kind of play your own gamble within. And I, I just think that that extra variation in the game would be better too. For me, that would be a twist in terms of the um, changes of the rules. I think um, you sound like a twist as well, Stag. Um, yeah. A bit twist. closer to on the fence, but it seemed like you might be leaning towards a twist. I don't know. I, I, I like the fact that it's high stakes with the captaincy. I think that that's a unique part of FPL. I, I can see the downside psychologically that people do get so wrapped up in it. And if you do get your captain wrong, it can screw up your game week. I do yeah. like the fact that it would change the game, but would it change FPL from being in FPL? Like, would it then become a different game entirely? That would be what I'd be unsure about. I mean, the other thing you can do with captaincy, which I'm sure a few people would be yelling out right now, if they're in distance left, that is, um, probably would be saying, well, you can get rid of captaincy altogether, just don't have a captain, because that removes a lot of the variance, right? Like, a lot of people do get annoyed at that every week, but they just say, oh, you know, because some people have just captained and they've gotten lucky with that. I suppose that, that could be another, another consideration, but it sounds like from both of your faces that, that may be a no. It's just for me, if you're talking about changing the captaincies uh, so that it doesn't, let's say, define how game weeks go, to, to just remove the captaincy entirely seems like a far more radical suggestion than to just allow the captaincy to shift around from player to player. And it, I, I just think that it would just keep people more engaged. It's going back to that thing we were talking about, how FPL is a marketing tool at the end of the day. And I think building engagement is the key. And this would mean that even Monday night fixtures might become interesting. We've, plenty of game weeks have happened this year where, let's say, the, the big two players of the game week that people were banking on to score as captains failed. Let's say it was Raheem Sterling pretty much for most of the first 10 game weeks, aside from the very first ones. And let's say if Mo Salah or something blanked as well, then suddenly like there was a complete crapshoot um, with the captaincy. And there were so often weeks where all of us came on here, every other podcast came on, it was just like, oh, four points from the captain. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be in favour of taking away the captainship completely. I think removing that variance will just create more of a, a template setup that we're all stuck with and all our scores being very, very similar. So that would I would be pretty anti that idea. Okay, so in terms of the captain then, um, I think it would stick in terms of it still being there, but I'm not sure. It sounds like you would both twist and I'd stick in terms of how it is set up. So 
um, Minority Report rules. It sounds like that's a, a twist on WGTA, although I'm not convinced. Um, all right, next thing then, uh, bonus points. The eternal question, why didn't X get bonus? I only care because I own him. If I didn't own him, I wouldn't give a... But um, yeah, bonus points are one of those uh, arcane things which come up every year, annoy people no end, and the ongoing debates annoy me no end. Um, but worth mentioning, I think, just because at the moment they seem a bit bizarre to a lot of people they're not very transparent in how they're reported as i've talked about ad nauseam and perhaps they could be redeployed reutilized to do other things for example i argued a couple of years ago um, that defensive midfielders could be brought into the game uh, using bonus points um, so you could get something like if you're a midfielder at the moment clearances blocks and interceptions are all lumped together as part of one bonus point sort of allocation if you split them out for midfielders and said you get one bps a a BPS point makes up the bonus points, which then give you that number, which the top three then get bonus. If they they're all split and players, you know, like Kante, Destroyers, are able to get those points um, allocated uniquely, then maybe you get a, a situation where you have a defence midfielder in the running for two or three bonus points every game. So you have a player who costs five point zero, something like that. Um, who was in the running to get four or five points every game. Like That would make things really interesting because then you'd be like, well, okay, you can spend loads of money on your players like you know, Martial, Ali, something like that. Yeah, you're going to play, I'm going to pay that 8 million for Richarlison or I could pay 5.5 for a Gabamin who's likely to get me four or five points every game week. Like That creates an intriguing sort of difference, doesn't it? And maybe it could be a nice way to overhaul bonus points and bring a lot of defensive midfielders into the game. So solve the problem that we spoke about earlier in terms of the positioning. Maybe a bit geeky. You though what do you guys reckon yeah i think i'm going to be largely echoing what you say thomas that i really would like to get those dms into the game further and rather than kind of proposing a radical overhaul that almost kind of goes into minute detail about how many tackles and blocks and you know what pass completion rate that every midfielder has and trying to bring that into the game i think there's enough to research already without doing that sort of thing to us but if we know that those defensive midfielders as you say are in the running for three four or five points depending or even have their own separate bonus point system for those players that they can kind of pick them up if they meet certain thresholds or something i'm kind of throwing that out as a random idea it would be a just just a way to get them in but i think as well it's just to give greater clarity into how those points are being calculated. Okay, yes, we know how they're calculated and like what goes into the metric. But what we don't know often is the numbers that are actually being in the multipliers to get the kind of the quantum to figure out who actually gets the bonus points at the end of the day. That causes excessive confusion and too many questions for people like us. But there's probably a rights issue there to do with the sharing of stats and giving away too much. And that's probably the reason why they haven't done it yet. But at the same time, I think there'd be a lot to benefit if we could just see the numbers having that extra transparency behind the numbers would be appreciated by most fpl managers as as you know the bonus point system is is very contentious and it's always prone to debate in the community as to why certain players um got the points and i think sometimes that you know certain forwards so salad types also sometimes i think are marked down a little bit too heavily uh, because of a big chance missed and you know because some of those big chances missed and often it's almost like a solo effort that created the chance in the first place and you can get marked quite heavily down off the back of that and I do feel like that needs a little bit of work as well I feel like some of the forwards that take plenty of pot shots like Salah sometimes unfortunately um, fall out of the bonus points and it's, it's not too fair to be honest I think 
No, I think bonus points definitely an area that could be revamped, could be looked at again. Obviously, it's a little bit complicated, which um, given the FPL's MO of just making things very, very simple might be a bit of an issue. But I can't imagine it being that difficult, can it? Just to say, you know what? Indeed, is going to be in the running for a couple of extra points every week. Why not? I mean, that doesn't seem very difficult to do. And let the nerds like us understand the full impact of it. But let the casual crowd kind of think, OK, well, these guys are maybe worth looking at again. And, and finally in this area the chips so Stag, i don't know if you were you playing in the time before chips when it was just the wild cards i'm i'm a i'm 10 year veteran of FPL, 10 year veteran so. so you were playing when you were six okay great um but <laughs> but in but in general then um i think the chips um a lot of people have, have not liked them so they're you know a bit gimmicky um adding that kind of extra random element aren't they to some extent and obviously when it all goes wrong it can really go wrong uh, leroy sane capsi last year sado mane this year oh my god and flashbacks what do you guys think about chips then worth keeping could they be altered like you know elite syrian i think they do a few different sorts of ones yeah i really like chips to be honest i, I, I like the ones we've got i think that the one they got rid of all that attack because it was a bit rubbish i kind of you know understood why they replaced it and i think um adding the free hits chip impacted in terms of how we managed the blanks and the doubles and added that extra dynamic which i, I really like and i think you know, they play a key um, element in terms of our double game week planning and when best to use the chips. And, you know, it's a really interesting discussion point that we have over the course of the season. So potentially you could look to add more chips to the game, you know, maybe one or two more. You know, I'm all for more complexities to the game and, and more variables and more things for us to think about, more things for us to debate about to prevent it from being too formulaic. So in terms of chips, I'm very pro I'm behind that as well, and I've uh, said for a while that I think I, what I'd like is a menu of chips, uh, curly fries, sweet potato. No, we'll talk about potatoes later on. Um, but what I would like is basically the idea that you say you've got a menu of six you could possibly use, but you can only use three during the course of the season. That would be awesome because people would then kind of go for it and they, they'd make their own decisions and you'd have like, you know, a, the template way of doing it, I suppose, the Ben Krellin way. And other people would be like, I oh, know I'm using my, you know, part of the bus chip actually this week. And you'd have so much difference, so much more variation how the season goes. Yeah, you'd be putting things over to luck a little bit. But I think that'd be really interesting. Um, I suspect it would probably be a bit too com- complicated for FPL to explain, um, but I think it would be really, really interesting too it would be interesting to, if you did have a few more tools in game because a lot of, a lot of the time we talk about at the start of it every season how important the start is if you do fall behind it can be really really hard to make up that gap a lot of the time if you have done very well at the start of the season that can basically see you through for the rest of the year and if you are in a little bit further behind maybe kind of having some different chips that could possibly help you that may not be applicable to people who are miles in front could be could be really really useful I'm largely pro chips. I've never, I think, benefited from chips all that much. I think every time I've deployed them, something has gone horribly wrong somewhere along the way. But nevertheless, I would still be pro the chips. I actually like your menu idea, Tom. I don't think I've ever heard that one proposed before. But even putting in something like a bit of a red herring kind of option there, like let's say you just get a free extra 20 points in a given game week at some point would be in there in that menu of chips for me. I think it would just cause so much confusion so much like extra tactical nouse would need to go into things there'd be more fixture analysis that goes with it i i really like the idea of the chips at the end of the day it's like it's just so hard to get them right isn't it so i guess coming back to our stick and twist on this whole entire area of scoring first of all i guess the bonus points folks i think lots of us seem to be thinking twist in some sort of way got to be twisted it can't it it shouldn't stay as it is even though i suspect it probably will i think uh, i'm in favor of a twist there 
Easy. And then finally, chips. It sounds like we, we like, again, as like with Caps and C, we like the idea of them. Um, and if it were as they are, then cool, we'll, we'll stick with that. But there is room for a twist if needed. Right. And then finally, the economy. Uh, very exciting area to speak about. Uh, but in terms of this one, you know, price changes being a, a key part of things. The price is rising and fall daily. It's the first thing a lot of people look at in the morning while the season's properly going. And, you know, it's just dumped in a black box, isn't it? We've got absolutely no idea how it's done. The FPL don't really mention the mechanics behind it. It's left to algorithms to try to figure out how it works, what happens with it. And you've got a very strange situation where you've got an external company and you know, fixed monitor the market. Like, should this be changed? Should this be more transparent one? And should it still happen daily that you have price changes? Yeah, I know we've we've sort of debated this on the pod sort of significantly before, but I think even this season in particular, it's, it's really felt like there's been some real flaws in terms of the structuring and the timing of the price changes and they have felt very random um, in terms of like some of the sales and just not seeing a player drop or or a player unexpectedly drop and even you know that you mentioned in the like fantasy football fix or FPL statistics who've been I feel like in in previous seasons they have been a reliable indicator in terms of tracking the prediction and who's going to be rising who's going to be falling but this season in particular it felt like um you know they haven't been able to track it as as well as they have in previous seasons, and and you know there's been sudden price um, changes that just felt like surely there's no algorithm behind it. It's almost just someone deciding as and when. Oh, I've decided Anthony Martial is going to drop tonight, and you know holding it off. Um, you know breaking the algorithm essentially because you know you look at some of the the falls for instance for within a week, and you think that player really should have fallen when you look at you know his um, ownership and the amount of sales, and, and it's just not happened, and it's it's kind of been a little bit unexplainable so it's definitely um, an area where fpl could be improved dramatically if they you know just provided like almost the bonus points but even more extreme you know in, in terms of some actual clarity in terms of why players are falling and why players are rising in the way that they do for a game that is effectively set out to try and be as simple and understandable as possible for any even casual fan to get into the economy thing is just poorly explained in general so many people we often get tweets about it don't understand why they've sold a player and now they have to buy them back for more than they paid the last time and why do they have one number on their team page and another number on the actual transfers they could do so much more with it if they actually kind of opened up the algorithm to us and just showed us like how the forecasts even just like are players going to fall are they going to rise what day even just show progress sort of thing and we could work the rest of it out ourselves if you maybe add a skill element to us but as it is right now i just think it's far too confusing it just allows for tinfoil hat theories to kind of grow about oh well, why didn't that player fall or oh, why didn't they rise i like the actual idea of having the value changes i just don't know how it's implemented yeah those like tinfoil hat theories that uh, anthony just mentioned are definitely true like you'll see people going oh why hasn't he risen oh it's because mark Sovens owns him it seems very kind of like you know what it could be so easily fixed if you just told us how this works. Like I, I just don't see why it has to be so complicated. I really don't. Like, I like the idea of it being there. I think the idea that prices change over the course of the season is absolutely fine. That's cool because it reflects behaviour, it reflects kind of people doing things and uh, you know the, the risk versus reward of making early transfer versus waiting to the end of the week. I, I like that. I like the fact that throughout the course of the week you've got something to think about and I think that they like that from a marketing perspective because you're logging in, you're looking at it, you're doing X, Y, and Z, you're engaging with the game. Um, so I, I think it probably should stay as it is but I think it just needs to be explained. Like, How the hell have they come to this number? It's kind of a cousin of bonus points in that respect, isn't it? 
so yeah, uh, it sounds like the economy then, just to round off the section, is a, is a, is a stick, really. I mean, we, we like the fact that it's there on Sky. You don't have the price changes. It just makes it a different game. Um, I think that that's a unique feature of FPL, that you've got that economy running, although it does seem a bit farcical at the moment that it's still running uh, during, uh, during the soft period. All right, let's take a break there, guys, then, and move on to the questions. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so uh, let's move on to the next section, and it's things making us smile. Um, so it's our new section we're going to do each week in place of a dad watch and such like. Um, it's basically a meme watch, uh, meme updates. Uh, so last week we spoke about the big lasagna, we spoke about uh, the guy who got the A or B, stuff like that. Uh, this week there are a few new entries, so... Uh, the time spent looking at exponential graphs <laughs> between January and March going upwards is uh, definitely one that's, uh, that's caught my eye this week. Another one um, is, uh, I hate them, but you know, if you're a football person, that meme where you have to put a photo of uh, something to do with football without comment. What I particularly love about that, though, as you may have kind of intuited from the very top of the podcast, was that it was written by somebody for, for whom clearly English isn't their first language. So at the very end, it said, missing the football so very much. And it just looks hilarious. You had loads of people like FPL General, for example, being caught out not reading what it said. It just looks so stupid because it just clearly just wasn't written by somebody who speaks English very well. Missed the yeah. football so very much. Like, why? <laughs> I, was, I was comparing it there uh, off mic to uh, when football managers say, in this moment, it's kind of a thing that's come from the Spanish and Portuguese speaking managers but now you hear the likes of even Graham Potter saying and Eddie Howe as well I've heard do it there in this moment we're struggling and you're like no, Graham like, get a great man <laughs> yeah. Eddie Howe saying in this moment all the players are injured and then they're all fine uh, on the next day yeah, yeah. Um, elsewhere you've got your tag five people stuff coming alive again so remember when we were younger and um, people were just like oh if you don't tag five people in this you're gonna die <laughs> now we're saying all right so name five jobs that you've had uh, tag five people as well there's a question later on actually about the jobs that i said that i'd done um, but i'm gonna stop uh, tagging other people whenever i get tagged now i think the chain needs to stop with me and um, yeah that's a wider meta joke there and uh, until tomorrow uh, something that um, staggers a member of the young generation can probably explain because i'd actually no idea what this is so yeah i had to explain it on twitter as well uh, with because <laughs> it was causing quite a lot of confusion when i posted a picture of my avatar with until tomorrow written on it and people were, tomorrow what's on tomorrow i got like three dms about it and quite a few messages as well off to the side but basically until tomorrow was an instagram thing which i presume probably started in the states and then came across and the idea was that someone posts up an instagram usually it's an embarrassing one and it'll, oh, it should be an embarrassing one with the caption until tomorrow. No context, nothing else, no tagging people, no nothing, if done correctly. And basically anybody that liked your Instagram, which said until tomorrow with you looking like a state, uh, you had to DM them on Instagram and say, oh, you've been caught out. Uh, this is like this chain thing. And you must now put up a post for 24 hours with the caption until tomorrow of you looking in the state, basically. And so it will be deleted tomorrow. So until tomorrow, you get to see this picture. Um, and that was pretty popular. It was great. Oh, well, you didn't post a picture of you in a state, though. It was just your, your avatar. So that was the, the the joke was was that oh, you know like nothing changes when you're an avatar. Us. Yeah, beyond it us. just it's went so messy. So it's worse. <laughs> oh, all you young folk. And the, oh, that reminds me. Then there's quite a few going around Facebook as well where it says, oh, you know, like someone's mum has four children. So it's north, east, west. What's the other kid called? Oh, yeah, I lost to this, and the answer is obviously someone 
because that's the, that's where the thing is. The same in the fr- in the fridge, there is free items. What do you open first? You have to open the fridge first, and people just get in that room. Oh my god! It's, it's all these people awful. that are coming back to the internet that haven't haven't used it in about fifteen years because they actually <laughs> um, had social lives and, and now they're confined to their homes and all those all those chainmails are coming back from when they were teenagers perhaps yeah maybe i mean speaking of uh, teenagers uh, there's one great one that um, we were giggling at um with uh, well you know last week it was lasagna this week it was a woman on zoom who decides to put her <laughs> show her video uh, when she goes to the dog um while on a group call which is absolutely brilliant and um, just google zoom fail and you'll soon see this one are there any more memes out there uh, stag as our, as our resident meme expert i'm sure you may have seen a few more yeah, yeah, I know I've got loads um, of uh, memes and internet content that have been making me smile. So just like the uptake in video phone calls, I think that's been pretty great. It's been smiling a lot at that. One thing that I've really been enjoying is a bit of a trend on Instagram. The footballers have moved on from keep you uppies with toilet roll. And now it seems to be a lot of Spanish players trolling, um, usually their partners, with this... Uh, troll where you fill a glass of water and you ho- you hold it up to the roof and so it's, it's touching the roof and have the get someone to stand on the chair and hold it and then all you do is you just, uh, just leave them there with the chair just stuck and they can't take the chair away themselves without drenching themselves and um, I don't know, it's pretty funny so the person is just stranded with a glass pressed against the roof. Uh, there was a nice little video as well um, that I think if you're looking for a smile you should look at. Um, there was a, a poor girl somewhere in Ireland and her, her birthday party was cancelled so all of her friends, their parents drove the kids around and they all came across the front of her house like in their cars in like a procession with their little happy birthday signs and like shouting and waving and stuff. It was some pretty heartwarming stuff there. Yeah, I saw the paramedic who was given a round of applause. She was going to work uh, with that warm soul, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really, really cool. And obviously uh, the big clap uh, on Thursday for the NHS workers was really cool as well. You hear people were whooping and bashing uh, horns here and things like that. It was really, really nice. Right, uh, in the community, uh, another shout out to Champman FPL. I did a quick video for them uh, not very long ago at Fancy Champman, but I think the window has closed, but I'm looking forward to that one. And also, uh, we really do a commercial message, but uh, Tom and Stefan, uh, two guys who you may know, um, Tom especially, is uh, Ron Weasley, who's into Planet FPL, doing their Would You Rather question. Um, their company, Beer Nuts, is obviously struggling a little bit at the moment because they work with bars and uh, all the bars are shut. So they teamed up with uh, a company called Siren Craft Brew to bring you the ultimate isolation beer care package to keep you entertained while at home. Um, so you get a few a few beers plus some of their signature nuts, plus a pub quiz, some beer mats, some card games, a beer pong set, and a chalice as well. Um, you can find that on beernuts.co.uk and the FPL community get a discount as well. That's FPL5 at the checkout. Um, we don't normally do adverts, but because it's a small independent business, why not, basically? Um, and plus, they're sending me a Nixon beer. Sorry, Stag. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do that for them. That what? Them <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They don't ship to Belgium, so. It's good oh, to support, yeah. um, you know, the FPL community through these trying times. And, yeah, um, yeah, definitely worth checking that out, guys. Anyway, let's move on to the questions. So, the first question this week is the FPL Twitter Community Awards. Um, Late Rise asks us to name and fame a few people. So, there's four things here. Let's start with the first one. Your most and least favourite FPL managers. Now, Stag. How did you interpret it this week? So, yeah, last week we had a question in and it was about who your favourite FPL manager was. And I took that as 
a manager in the community. And I, I think I went with chief at the time. And now here we are this week. And I was like, I've learned from my lesson. He was actually asking about actual managers. So I had decided that Eddie Howe was my least favorite manager, manager from an FPL context, because his press conferences are absolutely clear as mud. And there's just so many surprises. And like, look, it might not be as relevant this year, but the return of Ryan Fraser will come. Uh, and so, yeah, it's pretty frustrating, guys. Like, <laughs> I never can interpret these questions correctly. <laughs> right. Okay. So while you're thinking about those, uh, Nick and I will give our answers. So uh, least favorite FL managers, let's start with negative. I don't actually have an individual here, but I have that guy who shows up the one week they do well, doesn't say anything otherwise. So you'll see there's a few individuals over FPL to so everybody's seen them on the timelines. If it's some weeks just like, oh, 85 points plus this week, massive green arrow up to blah, 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 K. And then they'll be gone for a few weeks. And then they'll, they'll post again when they do well and then they'll disappear again. So yeah, those are my least favorite FPL managers because I just think it's really, really dumb. Yeah, I wasn't going to name it at least favourite Enfield manager because that would be me. That's unfair. But yeah, I think <laughs> I agree with your point there. And, um, you know, their favourite emoji is always the arm flex emoji as well, isn't it? It has to be accompanied by the arm flex emoji, doesn't it? But in terms of my favourite FPL manager, I think ultimately, it sounds a bit sick fancy perhaps, but it has to, it has to be Mark Southerns, doesn't it? He's, he's the ultimate FPL celebrity. He's the brains behind Fancy Football Scout. And he was perhaps the first pundit that many of us listened to in terms of following for FPL advice. Um, he's no longer sadly involved in the community, but he's sort of playing FPL quietly on the side and always doing very, very well. And I think that adds a little bit to the enigma and the reputation of this guy. Um, he's just an absolutely fantastic manager as well. Not afraid of a maverick decision or crazy minus eight outlandish punt. And, you know, his record speaks for himself. So I think to call out anyone as sort of my favourite FPL manager would have to be Mark, I think. Yeah, well, I think that's definitely it. Like the man, the mystery of the legend, Mark Southern, has to be the best because um, the fact is that there's the extra twist of excitement with Mark and there was always that capacity to take that minus eight and for it to come off, you know, like uh, things like picking out, what was it? What was it? Uh, Sol Bamba, wasn't it? Being the guy who was getting on the end of the Morrison flick-ons and getting those points in, getting that guy on the minus four and getting loads of points from that. Stuff like that, Mark was great at doing. I, I don't know, um, obviously, it's, it's sad that he's no longer part of it, but I agree with everything Nick said there. Absolutely excellent. I've, I've given this some thought and I'm not obviously like you guys, I'm not going to uh, attract a lawsuit here for slandering somebody with the least favorite, but my favorite FPL manager, I'm going to give a shout out from a community point of view to a fellow Irishman to FPL King, who um, unfortunately the Irish FPL meetup wasn't able to go ahead due to the Corona thing, but I wasn't going to be able to attend. So selfishly, I'm delighted that I might have a chance of actually attending this meetup when it does <laughs> actually come. And King also puts together the week in FPL, like one page, like front page of a newspaper type thing, which kind of brings the whole community together satirizes what's going on it usually tends to be pretty tongue-in-cheek i like it a lot yeah that's brilliant I, I really like that as well and hopefully i'll be able to actually go to the dublin meetup um i did lose a, a little bit of money i think actually from cancelling the uh the, com- the accommodation but no no bother i think i'll uh whenever we can or meet again i definitely will next thing uh is the funniest person in the community so i guess uh, there's one obvious answer for a lot of people here and i think nick he was the one who you'd written down yeah, I think that FPL Partridge obviously deserves a shout out here for his entertaining videos and brought lots of humour, lots of fun and entertainment, even being retweeted by the likes of Alan Sugar. I think down, he's done a downfall one, um, which is just a Adolf Hitler film, it's very, very good. Um, he's done um, many Narcos videos, which are very, very funny spoofs of them, FPL breakdowns, basically. I think this season, particularly this season, he's had a bit of a shocking season, which has um, rendered itself very um, useful for humour. And um, he's done the apprentice one as well and i think these videos it's very very funny he always brings a laugh um, out for people and, and long may it continue 
Yeah, uh, maybe kind of going down that line of um, FPL self-flagellation for poor uh, results. Uh, Hindu monkey comes to mind as a pretty funny uh, tweeter. He, every no, no, every week he's sacking himself and <laughs> he's just constantly kind of talking in like a third-person board speak about his season. I've found that pretty funny throughout the season. And then uh, maybe uh, Tom, our guest last week, was pretty funny too, wasn't he? Yeah, Adam's pretty good, isn't he? No, a Hindi monkey did come to mind, but I'm in a group chat with him as well, and he does like often like leave in a hissy fit, and then like, will send me a message a couple of days later going, "Can you get me? Let me back in the group, please, mate." <laughs> so yeah, definitely a uh, high on my list. Uh, Lucy Heinert as well. I think sometimes she'll just write some of the most like acid, sarcastic things on what people have written. I think that they, they're always brilliant. I always find them hilarious. Uh, Adam, yeah, um, at times he can be absolutely hilarious, and other times he can be very, very uh, cringeworthy indeed. So. Uh, there you go right uh, next one pod other than your own that you really like well i mean on the way to the airport when i was leaving uh, for australia i posted the, the podcast i was going to listen to i got inundated with that why why don't you listen to this my god you've left out these guys i can't believe it and i was just like oh my god so a bit of a minefield um, i'm going to think about how i diplomatically phrase this and throw this to you guys this is meant to be an fpl thing so uh, is there an fpl one you can zero in on without knowing others <laughs> Nope. <laughs> no, there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do really enjoy the Always Cheating podcast and I enjoy the Three Amigos podcast as well for all the banter. Cool. So I think um, I'll name two other podcasts just so we, we were fair and even to everyone. But I think um, I, I feel like um, what the Planet FPL guys have done this season has been incredibly impressive in terms of just getting and rolling out pods just every single day. I think just this sheer amount of effort that James has put in in particular uh, this season has, has just been amazing. And I, th- I feel like those guys... Um, definitely deserve a call out for, for all the work that they put in there um i'd also mention the the um f your surgery lads i feel like that that's one of my favorite podcasts i feel like it's always you know the amount of detail that they go into um is um very impressive and um hope they continue on as well because i know that um, james drury's been thinking about um this being the final season for the podcast so so we'll see what happens there yeah I mean, those are my two actually nick for sure i like the fact that we do like all genuinely get on in person as well and we meet um, and do try to obviously we'll support each other which is really cool right um, and the final bit is the member of the community you'd quarantine yourself with hmm Hmm. <laughs> Not sure I want to quarantine myself of any, to be honest. Um, Sarah's already putting up a bit. Nick is already putting up a bit of Nick. But um, yeah, uh, any answers that spring to mind here, people? I- I'm tempted to say no one except myself. Yeah, I'd be tempted as well. I think if I was quarantined with Tom, I think we'd probably just end up driving each other completely crazy by, by the end of it. So, uh, yeah, I have, no, I have no idea, to be honest. I think any answer I give would, would be a little bit weird as well. So. I have a constructive answer in a VFPL Viper purely because he's putting together these great fitness routines. And I think he'd be just a very practical person to like motivate you and actually, to actually somewhat stay in shape. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we'll give a shout out to Vipes there for his uh, very good videos on uh, keeping fit in the home. Absolutely. In some ways, aren't we all in quarantine with each other anyway? Uh, <laughs> yeah, God, so sappy. Total Adam Pritchard. Right, okay, moving on to the big question. How do we like our potatoes? Rank your favourite style of potatoes as FPL goops. Uh, chips, jackets, roasties. How do, the, how, how do we do them? I'm not going to rank them because there are too many ways to say potatoes. Maybe should we say what our favourites are? And what, I don't know. How do, we, how do we take on this question? As a potato expert, Anthony, what do you think? 
Wow, thanks. <laughs> so for me, it's um, it's definitely got to be my number one is in the summer when the, the golden wonders and other uh, cursed pinks and things kind of come through in June, July, August time, you get these really beautiful flowery potatoes. You boil them with the skins on and all and then just put a bit of butter in and mash them, have them with a bit of lamb or something. Very few things that are better than those potatoes in the middle of the summer, fresh ones. That's interesting. Still, still working off the seasons. I just have no idea when, when, when it's good. You just buy them from the supermarket and see what happens. But um, surprising, surprising actually. I was, I was never really into potatoes when I was growing up. I was, I was ultimately, it's like I was a big fan of crisps and French fried. So the, the, the more deep fried, the better for me. But I think you know your sort of your boiled potatoes, bog standard, nothing, nothing to them. Probably be bottom of the list. So uh, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably rank the the chips probably the most unhealthy of them all uh, first. Yeah, the curly fries, uh, uh, chips, triple fried chips. Yeah. Thing that, 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 I mean, can't so, just say chips. That means like well, anything. Well, like McCain oven chips. Talking about curly, curly fries just reminded me of my uni days where basically like every single meal I would eat would be some sort of like oven cooked meal with a side of curly fries and, and maybe a bit of lettuce and cucumber if I'm feeling <laughs> on the side. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, these days I haven't had curly fries in a, in a number of years now. Thought it'd be cheesy chips at 3am, half drunk as well. Yeah, maybe a smile or something like that uh, oh, for, me, for me it's got to be roast potatoes if you cut them in little bits parboil them first until you can stick a fork almost through them there's still a little bit of resistance and then you strain off keep the water for your gravy afterwards right it's part of a roast dinner and then you put the potato on, onto a baking tray on, on, on maybe papyrus paper Back in my meeting days, I'd shove uh, goose fat onto the potatoes and do some salt over them, some sea salt, so the big kind of chunky bits, and uh, some sage and maybe some rosemary as well. Smush it all around. All the potatoes were completely covered in this goose fat and also all the herbs and the and the salt, and then roast them like that. My God, that's perfect. Um, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, although the vegan version, if you're interested, is just use olive oil and use uh, a new sea salt. And they come out vaguely, vaguely the same, but they're not as crispy as with the goose fat. But there you go. So hopefully that answers your question, Goops. Right, next one, uh, keeping with these kind of big hitting things, the socioeconomic impacts of COVID or coronavirus. One for Nick, because Nick's the finance expert here. <laughs> uh, Morpheus Fire asks, how long we reckon the recession post-COVID will last? Nick, take it away. I really have not got an answer for this question. I don't know what you want me to well, say. I'm say. The man across numbers, <laughs> you meant right, 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 the I'm, market forces. <laughs> I mean, following the statistic. We, like, if it was socioeconomic impacts, like, but like, you know, positives that might come from this or something, you could like waft about it. But it's like, when is this going to end? I don't know. I've got no idea, man. And we say at the start, we're not going to talk about this. So. Yeah, I'm not a single sausage. That's what some, some of my, um, one of my employees like, asked me. It was like, oh, so when are we going back to work? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Stupidest question, boss. When do you, when are we go back to work? Said <laughs> to me that I was like, well, when do you think we'll be back in work? I'm like, well, I don't know. We're following government advice now, you know. Like, like, it doesn't matter what I can think. <laughs> like, yeah. Why don't you go back in work and see if it's safe? <laughs> I just can't see uh, how it's going to, you know, improve over the next few months. This is this is going to be a long term thing for for the whole entire world. So it could could be a couple of years that. You know the socio-economic impacts um, go on for, but who knows? Yeah, I think it's safe to say this is probably going to be a long-term thing, isn't it? Like after we come to some sense of normality, there's going to have to be some stimulus to get people buying stuff again, and maybe sort of VAT holiday or something like that, just to kind of help things along. 
Um, you're seeing investors pull out, buy solid stuff like gold, or just taking their money and sticking it under their bed at the moment, um, given how the stock markets are looking. So there's going to have to be some stimulus in order for things to improve. But yeah, no, I think it's just going to be when stability returns, whenever that is. People don't like unstable time. Volatility doesn't seem to be the friend of stability. Um, well, it never is, is it? Am I really to come in on this? <laughs> you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to if you want to. No, I, um, I won't. Yeah, I'll leave it. Cool. All right. The next bit, uh, remain indoors. Uh, Lucy Heiner asks, what's been good about being stuck indoors? Memes. Um, and just watching videos on Twitter and stuff has pretty much been keeping me going. Like I've actually found that so far I've been so like I'm still working and I'm kept so busy that I haven't actually got anywhere near going through all the plans that I had to watch movies and read books and do things like I, I kind of find like I'm still just operating on a day to day basis. You know, I get my one hour run in in the day i get the shopping done every few days and i just work for hours and i feel that just the days pass pretty quickly so it hasn't actually been that bad being stuck indoors well i think many many of us sort of gamers and nerds have been used to, to lives indoors anyway so it's not too bad for us but i think ultimately for me i think um, not having to do my daily commute has, uh, has been appreciated um, typically lose about two to three hours a day on that and it does mean that i get a little bit more sleep in the morning um which is gratefully received considering I, i've got a son who doesn't sleep at night so um having that extra hour in the morning is is very much appreciated but yeah, um, being stuck indoors, it's, it's not as bad as it's, you know, it could be, it could be a lot worse. I saw actually an article on the BBC about how we would have all coped if this happened in 2005 compared to 2020. And, you know, those were the days where we didn't have smartphones, YouTube um, didn't exist or was in its infancy. And, you know, we didn't have um, streaming services like Netflix out there and social media websites like Facebook, Twitter it would have been a very, very different world. So I think we're quite lucky, to be honest, that we're having um, this crisis in, in a world where we're all interconnected and we can all talk very easily like we are right now, which um, wasn't around in 2005. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, all we do normally is we go from one pl- one building, the one we live in, to another building where we work and then back again. And that's basically, for the majority of the week, what we've lost. Um, so in some ways, I mean, being stuck indoors, is, it's okay. Um, human beings, as James Crawford said this week, when it comes down to it, ultimately just dogs, aren't we? We need to go out for a run every now and again. And what's been good about being indoors? Get more time gaming, basically. <laughs> as Nick said earlier, all the nerds and geeks are loving this. If I was doing what I used to do when I was at uni, I'd be loving this even more. But unfortunately, I don't do that anymore. Right, uh, move on to the next question then. Vase. <laughs> if your sergeant asks we pronounce that word vase, vase, or Vores? Is there another way of pronouncing? I don't know. Um, how do we pronounce this? It's a vase to me. Vase. Vase. Okay, good. V A R S. Do you actually pronounce it vase? No, I don't. I don't know why I said it that way. Yeah, what about the uh, very nice uh, small bread thing that causes issue? I don't want to like prejudice your answers. Can you type it? <laughs> can I can type you... it? Yes, I can type it. Hang on. Sorry. I don't know what you mean. Oh, scone. <laughs> See, I don't even know. I, I say both. <laughs> so scorn, probably. Oh, it's because oh. there's the magic E at the end, so it makes the O sound. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much a, a hardcore scorn. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say con instead of code, no, that's the thing, but I still feel like it's a scorn. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things, isn't it? But I just try to abide, abide by the by the magic E makes the, the vowel in the middle make say its, say its name. Um, next one. 
All right. Um, Psycho 11. So Benny Blanco, a key worker. Shout out to you, Benny. Um, great work. Um, asks us to put together a Psycho 11. Um, so yeah, quite an interesting one. Um, I've put some starters for 10 on here. So in goal, it has to be Jens Lehmann, doesn't it? Stuart Pierce because uh, Psycho. And uh, Chopper Harris, your relative, Nick, um, famously just took everyone out in the old run. Uh, no matter who you were, just went straight for your ankles. Yeah, I'm sure he tells you the story of the family gatherings. All right, in the midfield... Um, in the midfield, I was just expecting you to go for Roy Keane, and I was going to have to like have an impassioned defence of Roy Keane for the next Roy like, Keane ten minutes. For ruining Alfie uh, Yeah, career. that was he is he is a complete he is no, completely no, mad, isn't he? No, 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 folks, no, no. What no, is he? Yeah. He's a hero. Well, even after he stormed out um, of, of the Island 2002 World Cup after bust up with, um... oh, he was totally right. He was totally right. <laughs> things, 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 things weren't good enough, and he, uh, he has standards, and he held Ireland to account on that. Fair play so, to him. They're not playing at all. Okay. All right. So I, I, I think that I think uh, uh, let's go with minority report here rules and put Whoa. him in. <laughs> I would not stand over this. <laughs> Let's be fair. Um, he's not a normal guy. He has, has as much empathy no. as Donald Trump does, doesn't he? How about that? No, <laughs> not true at all. He's very, very good around the dressing room sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure his uh, many successes since being a manager have shown that his his man management abilities are incredible. Oh, um, Sunderland promoted 2005, 2006, was it? What a year! Anyway, uh, Maradona when he was drugged up, probably in the midfield. Um, there's another one there. Yeah. yeah, this is the thing. It's like I've I've grown I've grown up in an era where football has been kind of like toned down a bit, and it's like you know you don't really make it in the professional era unless you've been somewhat controlled going That's through. Be a bit of a hard question again. Like it's, it's like unless we've sat down and really thought this through, I don't know if it's going to fly. Yeah. Just have Costa and Suarez. Oh, oh, yeah. In fairness, Balotelli was the easy shout here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't think basically we're going to be able to put together a, a proper team here for you, Benny, uh, just because we're too snowflakey effectively. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you can probably guess the sort of people that we're thinking about. Um, yeah, I had Nat Lofthouse as well uh, up front. Um, the story of him scoring a goal where he was unconscious. No? Okay, never mind. All right, uh, next question. Uh, my past job. Uh, remember that five jobs meme? So Rich FPL mentions that one of my old jobs was a receptionist at a sexual health clinic. Do I have any funny stories? Um, yeah, I do. Um, I'm going in the explicit category again here, lads. Uh, so um, people used to phone up, and when they phoned up, a lot of people don't. It just doesn't clock that they're they're not going to be speaking to a doctor or nurse straight away. So a lot of the time, I just got the most disgusting pe- things asked of me. Like, um, obviously, clinically, yeah, of course, you should be asking the NHS, but. Like, I was an 18 year old boy, like sitting sitting on reception. I was fielding calls like. Have you heard of bacterial vaginosis? What are the symptoms? And what happens when your clit is green? <laughs> and I, was trying, I had to like try to be professional about that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it wasn't very good. And uh, yeah, uh, I think also you know, getting stuff. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm not going to go into, into it too much. Yeah, there are quite a few funny stories, but I think they're probably, uh, probably a bit too gross for this particular podcast. <laughs> Uh, speaking of gross things, Nick, that beer's looking good. Uh, Hindu, Hindu monkey, Phil asks if any hair experimentation is occurring. So, um, not for me, I don't think at the moment. Uh, not for you, Anthony, but Nick, you're looking like you're about to go hunting in the woods. Um, any experimentation going on? Oh, oh yeah, I am growing my beard out, as, as you mentioned, Tom. It has actually been longer than this. I have gone um, crazy, but normally I fall into some sort of peer pressure from work colleagues saying I'm, I must shave it and, and tidy and sort myself out, which I then tend to follow. Um, so 
obviously not being at work, um, I thought, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to see what happens, grow it out as long as possible, end up looking like Gimli or something like that. I, I was tempted just to shave my head as well and just look like a complete nutter, but um, I'm not sure if I'm going to go down that road uh, this time around. But yeah, yeah, a bit of a hair experimentation. Why not? You know, you only live once. I know you guys probably could uh, would struggle to, to grow a beard like this, so maybe that's why it's not in your sides. But you, sure, you can't get haircuts at the moment. So, uh, no, and that's actually part of my issue, Nick, is that you can't get a haircut here in Belgium at the moment. So I, I, I'm starting, this is already starting to get a little bit too like a mop on my head. I was approaching the need for a haircut as the lockdown began. My issue is that like I get to having a mullet really quickly if I don't control the hair and I look like, <laughs> yeah, I, I look like a 70s or 80s cross-country runner or tennis player or something like very rapidly the hair starts to curl and things. So I don't know if I've, there's a bit of a trend going on now of just yeah. going fully sure. bald and I'm I'm genuinely tempted by it. Well, I've yeah, never I saw, done it before. I saw that the Hazard brothers, um, Aidan, Torgan and Killian have all shaved their heads and um, so has Stephen Graham who got his son to do it and um, John Richardson was tweeting about how he's thinking about doing it. So yeah, why not join join that plan and uh, go for the full shave and uh, film it on Twitter for, for lols as well. Yeah, exactly. I do change. I put a few like mohawks in and stuff along the way as it like goes towards them being fully cleared of hair to be <laughs> be a good tweet. Yeah, I might I might have to as well. Um, might have to do it. Um, yeah, I see if I can get um get my other half to cut my hair and see if she can just have a go. Because frankly, who's going to see it apart from her anyway? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm glad. So like on on the week that I go back to work, I did get my hair cut that week because it was getting a bit ridiculous. I hadn't cut it for two months. But if we're in until in may then i think that i'm going to start looking like a mushroom because my hair just grows outwards which is really really annoying and um, so yeah maybe maybe i will shave it again i don't really like shaving my hair but meh, if it needs to be done it needs to be done so yeah no experimentation and as, as nick has pointed out neither of us can probably grow a beard so um yeah uh, right next question uh, tom's trilogy so tom campbell with a few questions he asks me um how would you personally remember arsene wenger's time at arsenal a game of two halves obviously um for nick uh, what's your preferred uh, starting formation and style of play on watching spurs and anthony we were best on field partnerships you remember so i'll go first um yeah i think as i, as I said game of two halves um when wenger came in obviously re- revolutionized how the game was played and looked at in the UK or in England, I suppose I should probably say. The idea of nutrition, things like that, completely changed things. Chew to win, uh, famously. Uh, spending your time chewing your food, giving those kind of marginal gains. I think Martin Keown uh, initially was complaining about those and but obviously saw the benefits because his career was extended uh, all the way to the Invincible season. Um, but I think after that, it became a study in not exactly being a specialist in failure, but just putting too much faith in really rubbish players, you know, players like Danielson, players like Almunia being in goal, not buying a defensive midfielder, like really clear and obvious blind spots, the things that happen when you're in a club for too long. I think those things did kick in. And as much as, you know, the initial start point was great, I think by the end, it was probably the best that he did go or at least bring someone else in and move upstairs, something like that. Obviously, you wouldn't have shot Bambi and got rid of him um, 2002, 2003, 2004 or something like that but after a while A banter club Yeah exactly things just changed didn't they So for me the best on-field partnerships that I remember I always like Stephen Jarrod and Fernando Torres were this absolutely fantastic combination kind of around the time that I started to really really get into football I kind of considered the uh, 05 FA Cup final as a starting point for me um, with kind of watching football 
continually and following things on the the teletext or CFAX for you guys in England and uh, kind of move from there. So Gerard Torres would be one. I think the impact that Virgil van Dijk has had on his centre-back partners, especially at Liverpool, has been something to behold. And so it's not so much an on-field partnership as what van Dijk can do to somebody else, but I found that incredibly compelling to watch. Uh, from an FPL point of view, it's hard to forget what Yaya Torre and Sergio Aguero used to do together for years upon years. Um, there was obviously the real Yaya glory year especially, but yeah, a fantastic pairing. Uh, thinking a little bit more laterally and maybe outside of just singular partnerships, I would think back to the real kind of, as far as I was concerned, glory era for Ferguson's, I guess, third wave at United. And that was the team with Rooney Ronaldo, Tevez and Chicharito all firing on all cylinders together. I guess with Nani kind of supplementing from the wing as well. That was a sight to behold the way all four of them kind of contributed and did their bit for what was a scintillating team to watch. And just, I guess it was a time for me where I was really into football. I was at the Old Trafford twice um, while that team were active and it was just great to watch. I think nothing for me is that probably coloured by FPL a little bit, uh, but Suarez and Sturridge. There's probably one that comes to mind. Um, yeah, the, so the Vares, original SAS. Vardy yeah. and Mahrez. No, the original SAS was uh, Sutton and Shearer, actually. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, sorry, you're uh, sorry. Blackburn Rovers in uh, 1994, 95 when they won the title. Mm-hmm. Um, I think though, I think I always think of a few of those. Your call is often talked about as well as something, but I oh, yeah, n- yeah. N- nothing I was around for. So We need to watch some of the highlight rules of those. That, There's that some a, of them is telepathic, th- some of the connection between those two. Yeah, United's treble season, the whole thing, is a summary of it as available on youtube i'm going to sit down and watch it one of the days i think i watched it when i was about 10 but i'll i'll do it again it's the perfect opportunity to catch up on your football history really this period (laughs) it's a very rare fallow period when no football's actually happening and you can just like research into the past oh and for nick watching spurs so so it won't surprise anyone that i prefer sort of an attacking um possession-based style of play and i'm certainly not like a fan of some of the more recent setups that you've seen recently with the sort of five cents backs against burnley with some sort of park the bus mentality um yeah and i'm obviously not a fan of that i think I've, generally i think in terms of formation i've always been something my football manager set up as a four two three one um set up so you know you'd have like the, the wingers um, being sort of son and more uh um or lamella on, on the ring and historically that might be in a sort of bail and uh, van der Vaart, lennon sort of set up with a jermaine defoe type character um in the number nine position or harry kane obviously now um and i think going forward it'd probably be like delhi alley sort of playing sort of behind as a supporting striker which he's shown his, his best form in playing i think unfortunately with spurs at the moment there there are some serious upgrades that need to be made in a number of positions. I think ultimately a fullbacks um, is a key area which we need to look at. I think previously we you know, if you see it gone of the days we had um, Kai Walker and Danny Rose in their prime or um, even Kieran Trippier um, and you know the, the fullbacks really need upgrading and I think in the midfield too as well. I think you know, there's a future end on Mille as, as a box-to-box midfielder and some form of defensive midfielder supporting him maybe or even a Chelsea type character but uh, maybe Gernandez is Eric Dyer's rubbish now, but I think, yeah, um, to answer Tom's question, yeah, four, I think 4 2 3 1 would be my favourite sort of style of formation and, and generally just attacking, but I think that's, that's just natural for all football fans to, that they like to see that sort of attacking formation. Is that going to happen under Mourinho though? Let's see if the football ever does come yeah, back. Well, we'll see, we'll see. It's a, yeah, it's early days and he has been unfortunate with the injuries, but yeah. 
Cool. Uh, penultimate question. Um, favorite season ever? Let's take this one. Um, Andy Mark. Andy Markham simply asked that. A quick shout out for his seven-year-old son Alex, who started playing FPL in game week thirty to practice for next year. Oh, uh, so he's and apparently he still checks to see how he's doing. Bless him. Um, yeah. Oh, very unlucky there, Alex. But hopefully next year you will be uh, number one in the world. Uh, but yeah, our favorite season ever, guys. What do we reckon? Do you want to take this as an FPL thing or as a proper football thing? I was going to take it as a football thing. I guess it'd be the treble season for you. <laughs> oh yeah, the treble season. I remember it so well. I was two. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I think for me, it may well be that season that I mentioned earlier where United had the attack flowing on all cylinders. I don't think it was the year they won the Champions League. I think it was the year that they won the Premier League and FA Cup double, but lost the Champions League final to Barcelona. So I think if I remember correctly, that's 2009, uh, 2008, 2009. That was my favourite season. So, so um, yeah, I interpreted this actually as an FPL season as opposed to a um, favourite Premier League season. So I think in terms of FPL, and it's, it's always going to be the t- two seasons that you did the best in. Um, so for me, I think there's two seasons. One was the first season we did the pod, um, which was just a you know real, really fantastic season. Um, really enjoyed it. And, you know, the amount, you know, doing all the content for the pod and everything, it was just, you know, it was a great year. And then the other was um, a tough year in my life, but it was... Um, the year that I sort of fell in love um, with FPO and I think we talked about it on the, you know, get to know us pods, but you know, that season when I sort of first fell in love with um, FPO and I was in hospital, but I ended up actually um, scoring my best overall rank of all time. And it was, it was the season actually Harry Kane emerged from the scene and I just being a Spurs fan, I'd seen this Europa League performances, got on him early and uh, really paid dividends. Um, in terms of actual non-FPO, it's a, uh, It'd probably be less. It probably season Leicester won the league. It was a really good season for Spurs as well. So Spurs were, you know, absolutely fantastic performances, and and you know, it was a Premier League winner that I felt like I could get behind, um, just because I, you know, I'm not a fan of Manchester United or Arsenal or any of these other clubs winning the league. But with Leicester, it was like such a such an underdog story. It was so miraculous that you know, I thought it was just a, a really really good season for the Premier League as well. Especially with you know, all the detractors that say only two free clubs can win the Premier League, no other club can ever win it. So you know, Leicester proved them all. Wrong, didn't they? So I thought that was a really good season. Cool. Um, yeah, no, no, uh, no real surprises about mine. Uh, 2003, 2004. Um, yeah, the, the invincible season basically um, is my favourite uh, proper season. And uh, in terms of FPL, um, I think probably that the year that I had cancer as well was probably the, my favourite FPL year because that was my highest finish. Um, there you go. Um, yeah, that was. I think that was Leicester season as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably my best one. So there you go. Um, uh, best over season in FPL, worst year of my life. There you go. Right, and then the final uh, the final question this week is Desert Island Discs. Hooray! Uh, so Techie FPL asks for our Desert Island Disc entries. This also probably touched on Kenny McDowell's question about 10 albums to be isolated with, but let, let's keep it to Desert Island, Island Discs. I, I think kind of prefer this question. So for those not familiar with it, it's a BBC Radio 4 kind of classic show uh, where people go on to be interviewed about their life and they'll also play eight tracks that they like, um, plus also give one book and a luxury item um, that the idea of as the name may suggest is if you're stuck on desert island these are the eight thing eight tracks or eight um i guess music pieces or whatever you'd be stuck with plus book and you're not your item so what are you guys as uh, desert island discs anthony do you want to start yeah I've, I've done my best to think us through and i have managed to get eight songs together anyway um i really enjoy where the streets have no name by u2 but to be honest you could have taken quite a few other u2 songs and subbed them in there as well uh, city of blinding lights sunday bloody sunday it would have all been on that 
Then from Oasis, uh, Champagne Supernova is probably my favorite of all their songs. Um, Hurt, as covered by Johnny Cash, I always enjoyed. And Personal Jesus, not the Johnny Cash cover, but the Depeche Mode cover. I really enjoy that. There is a song called Mary Keane's Introduction. It is a song that has been basically a an Irish musician did an interview with his then 80-something-year-old grandmother. And she was talking about her life growing up in County Clare. Um, but he overlaid it on techno and it came out as this absolutely brilliant bloody boffin tune <laughs> that I, I just, I love listening to it. It's such a, such a good tune and it kind of all comes together really well. Uh, his name is Dahi, by the way, that's D-A-I-T-H-I. Uh, Joxer Goes to Stuttgart is a song I enjoy, Christy Moore song, um, but it's about uh, Ireland going to Euro 88 and obviously before my time, but, all, but still a great tune and has a nice story to it. It's a, it's a funny one, but it's also a good one. Razor Light's uh, song America kind of came out whilst I was kind of just oh, nice. discovering that music existed. Oh my um, life, watching America. That's, that's, that's the one. And like anytime I think of that, I, any, like it was on the very first album I ever owned. It was like, you know, those Now albums that used to come out. It was like Now 65 oh, or nice. something. And there it was. Like, I think it was the first tune. I was like, I love it. Yeah. And uh, I've thrown in Don't Look Back in Anger here, the Oasis song as well. But I, honestly, you could have give or taken quite a lot of U2 or Oasis songs in that category there book um i've gone for a bridge too far but honestly i could have picked any book um a bridge too far is a book about the battle of arnhem during world war ii by a guy called cornelius ryan i um really enjoyed it and there's an awful lot of detail in it so if i'm stuck on an island i might as well uh, get really into the nitty-gritty detail of that book and then a luxury item it's nothing to do with the fact that i'm on an island and everything to do with just what i enjoy doing i wouldn't mind having a boat just to be able to sail around this island um yeah Maybe a fishing rod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, fish the other. Um, so yeah, I, I, as usual, I've misinterpreted slightly. I didn't read it properly. Um, so when it came to eight recordings, I actually picked out albums instead of um, singles. But um, I thought maybe I'll, I'll think of, on top of my feet and, and name my favourite song on each one of those albums that I picked out. Um, just because uh, yeah, it's more fun that way. So um, I think its first album I picked out was Radiohead OK Computer. It's a sort of seminal al- album. It's probably one of my favourites, one of Tom's favourites as well. Probably the ultimate tune is there. It's probably Paranoid Android um, Tips the Comic Police. It's, the, it's probably the best song. Uh, just, just an absolutely fantastic, fantastic anthem. Um, secondly, um, I've got it's another one of mine and Tom's favourites is Block Party's Weekend in the City. Um, just really grew up with that album. Just really, you know, means so much to me, that album. It's just like growing up and just everything. Um, so I think I really, basically, is it, that is like an album for me. It's not really a particular track that really um, sticks out. Maybe I actually really like, well, it's not one of the singles for me, but I probably like, really like Kreuzberg um, as a song. I just think um, a fantastic, fantastic song. So maybe I'll pick that one out. And um, then, then I've picked that stuff in Stevens. Come and feel the Illinois. Um, very much sort of going into the American indie music scene here. Um, another album that I really grew up with. Most of these albums actually came out in sort of a period of sort of 2003 to 2006, which um, just was sort of those sort of key years for growing up before I sort of stopped listening to new music. Um, and Chicago is, is just a fantastic song that everyone needs to listen to from that album. Um, then I've got The Shins, or Inverted World. Anyone who's seen Garden State will know new slang. Um, you listen to this song and it will change your life. Um, it's a classic quote. <laughs> Tom knows it. Um, you look perplexed, Anthony, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, then we've got Arcade Fire, Funeral, another great album. The toss-up between Neighbourhood 2 and Neighbourhood 3, but I'll probably go for Neighbourhood 2 as the best song. And um, then going back in time a little bit, The Queen is Dead, The Smiths. 
great, great album. Um, and then probably, I suppose, There Is A Light That Never Goes Out. That's kind of the, the seminal anthem on that album. Uh, Black Holes and Revelations going back into the 2004 theme uh, for Muse. And probably Knights of Sidonia is just, just like a, a classic. If you've ever seen that song live, it's just absolutely banging. It's just a, such an amazing anthem for sort of a live gig. And I think Muse are probably one of the best live bands I've ever seen. Um, I'd love to see them again at some point. And then just a switch of genres. I've gone for Outcast, Speaker Box, The Love Below, which is just a 40-song epic um, and a great, a great one of that. And it's very, it's just pick a song, probably be Roses, just because it's a sort of classic single from those all the zero zeros um, from the rap era. So yeah, those, those are my um, records. Uh, for the book, I'd probably pick something I haven't read, something epic that I'm never going to have time to read. Otherwise, so I've gone for War and Peace by uh, Leo Tolstoy. Never read it and uh, probably should at some point in my life. So why not take it to my desert island? And then um, Luxury Item, I, di- I didn't think as practically as you. I just said I'll take my Nintendo Switch and play some games on it and keep me occupied for a significant period of time so thomas your turn cool oh good i've it's uh it's actually quite tough uh, to do uh, to borrow on your lines nick to do uh, eight songs that i really like and also that don't just like expose me as being a really joyless person because a lot of my music taste is, is really like kind of wailing indie so i did have at the top of the list hurt by johnny cash um, and then uh, that it's a, it's a great tune <laughs> and, and that and that moved into uh a hold on magnolia by magnolia electric company which not many people have heard of it's an american country brand and then these singers now are r.i.p sadly but uh, a fantastic song um fake empire slash karen lickasaw by my favorite band uh, the national a song for clay um off the weekend in the city that's probably my favorite blood party song of all paranoid android i think will probably make the cut maybe hit maybe that or maybe no surprises which i've always harbored a bit of love for um honorable mentions didn't make it um but there is light never goes out and boys don't cry as well by the cure uh, also the scientist by coldplay that has a particular resonance with me um i know it's a really cheesy song but it was before they sold out um and has, has a particular place in my life that particular song a couple of other runs as well. Uh, Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. Um, I used to be able to rap that whole thing. So I think if I was in Desert Island, I would, I'd probably just make sure I can rap it. I was planning at one point to rap it on the podcast. I told Sarah about it. And she was like, do not rap on the podcast. And she's probably right. Um, and uh, uh, it was, I'd have to have a Frank Ocean song or two um, on this particular Desert Island because I bloody love Frank Ocean um, outside of uh, Wailing Indie. So I'd probably go with uh, Bad Religion or Ivy. So I think my eight probably be I think I've, I've named loads of songs there. One, two, three, four, five, six. I've got nine there, damn it. Fake Empire by National, Juicy by Torres B.I.G., Hold on Magnolia by Magnolia Wretched Company, Song for Clay by Block Party, The Scientist by Coldplay, Hurt by Covered by Johnny Cash, Paranoid Android by Radiohead, Bad Religion Ivy, maybe Ivy by Frank Ocean, but yeah, it's, it's very close. Uh, book, uh, if I can cheat, i take an F. Scott Fitzgerald compendium so I can read all of that. I think that would be really, really good. Um, but what sort of thing do people read when they're on things like this? Maybe something like the Bell Jar or something like that, um, taking into account what you, what you said, Nick, about like taking time to read something that you, that you wouldn't normally have read, so maybe that, or Down and Out in Paris, New York, something like that I'd probably take with me. But yeah, and then a compendium of Scott Fitzgerald if I possibly could, if not just Great Gatsby or Tender as the Night. And the luxury item, I was thinking uh, cigarettes. I, I don't smoke any more. If I, if I was on Desert Island, well, you know, okay, why not? But then I realised if I'm on Desert Island with cigarettes, I won't have a lighter. So <laughs> that's going to really suck. Oh, I wouldn't be sucking, I guess would be the, would actually be true. Um, so maybe an inexhaustible e-cig would be my luxury item. 
like I could just use the whole time I was there because it means I wouldn't have to ch- charge it or plug it in. It would never run out of battery and it would never run out of nicotine stuff. So maybe that, maybe that would just keep me company. Very unhealthy, isn't it? Right. That's uh, that's round off there, I think. Yeah, so I guess that's all those questions. Thanks very much for sending them in, guys. Just to say, of course, we are Who Got The Assist. You'll find the Twitter account at WGTA underscore FPL. You'll get Nick at WGTA underscore Nick. You'll find me, FPL Stag, at FPL Stag. We also have an Instagram account now, WGTA dot FPL. Uh, we will be back next week and we will continue uh, on into the other, however long it takes us. Cheers, guys, for listening. Stay safe, all. Well, I'm not even sure if it's going to assist you to do anything. Um, but yeah, says we'll, we will be back. Uh, we will be back uh, next week. Uh, I think after a while, we'll probably end up having to stagger this if, if it is that we're in for a long time. But yeah, it just becomes a meme review podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably we'll have to come up with a bit more original. But yeah, cheers all. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.